0: Welcome, everybody, to Monday Night Live. My name is Derek and Today, I'm delighted to uh, uh, introduce my friend Tim Durkin. Those of you that have seen Tim on the show before, you know that he's just full of tips, techniques, and tactics that we can use in our lives and from his life, which has absolutely been been extraordinary welcome tim back to monday night live tim and i first met in um, marco island florida 16 years ago and we've been friends ever since we have zoom calls we have chats and we learn off each other because we're both lifelong learners like everybody who joins monday night live live but don't let that put you off if you haven't joined uh, monday night live live please do join us let me tell you just a little bit about uh, Tim he was formerly a marine when he left uh, school became very disciplined worked with all sorts of people like Stephen Covey uh, uh, the uh, seven habits of highly effective people done all sorts of jobs managed a massive hotel in Dallas last time I met him face to face was at the Dallas speaking conference and Tim was a former president of the Texas Speaking Association. Of course, Texas is bigger than the UK, so we had 13 regions here, and one the size of Texas has all sorts of speakers. Tim, welcome. Now, tell me, Tim, you told me that um, you were a hobo. As a Brit, I have no idea what that means.
1: Okay, Um, well, it's great to be back here and great to be seeing my friends again here from the chat show. Um, What a hobo is, is a person back from the post-civil war era that jumps trains to get across the united states now hobo is actually a derivative of the term hoeing boy now after the civil war which some of us call the period of general unpleasantness um, there was a lot of out of work people that were no longer required by the military so these men could only find work as farm workers because as the United States expanded westward, there was more farms work, more farms, and more farm work available. Now there wasn't a lot of tractors or automated machinery there, everything was done by hand. So these itinerant workers would be hoeing boys and they would get to the west as the trains expanded westward they would jump trains and they'd hide on the trains. They didn't actually used to have to hide, they were just riding there. Now, a hobo, that continued on. As a matter of fact, it still continues on. Now, there are three distinctions that I learned when I went with a hobo, and, and I'll have my origin story there in a second. There is a hobo who is always known to be a worker. And they, the, a hobo will do anything for food or money when it comes to work. I personally swept out a, a big distribution center for two hamburgers. Underneath the hobo, and less respected than the hobo, are called tramps. And tramps really just get on the, pl- the trains and they don't do any work. They're, um, they're typically lazy. Um, you will often see them, what we call, what the hobos call excuse me, flying a sign. They'll stand on the side and it'll say, need money or will work, but they really don't mean it. They're looking for handouts. That's a tramp. And then there's a bum. And a bum is typically a danger, more dangerous because they usually are drug users. They don't do anything and they can cause trouble. So, um, but a hobo is is an honest worker. And the way I got into it was I had a friend from college who was a, a, a genius. He said his IQ was like 185. I have no doubt about it, but he's a very, very unusual person, is a gifted athlete. He played racquetball, he was actually world champion. And in order to get to racquetball tournaments, because they only offered very small money at the time, he would jump trains, and he would get into the town where there was um, a uh, a tournament. He became very good at that, and he adopted that lifestyle full time. He came through Dallas seven years ago. He contacted me on Facebook, and he said, um, "Haven't caught up in forty years. You want to get together?" I did. We had him as a guest in our house, and one day he looked at me and he said, "You want to go jump a freight?" Well. I, now I'm going to leave that story for a second and go back to another story that explains the reason why I said yes. When I was six or seven years old, I noticed that I did not have something that all of my friends had. As a matter of fact, most of my friends had two. I had none, and I was not ever going to have one. And that, uh, w- what that was, was a grandfather. Uh, Both of my grandfathers were out of the picture. One deceased and one abandoned my family and returned to Canada, abandoned my mother, my two uncles and my grandmother and and went back there, went back to Canada after he got fired by Henry Ford um, because of an industrial accident that caused him to lose his eyesight. Anyway, not having a grandfather really, really impacted me, but I did have an uncle that was always around and he was a great guy and he had a re- deep voice and he wore super white shirts, super starch, very starch. Um, and he had wire rim glasses, but he was very kind to me. So I enlisted him to be my grandfather. I never told him that, but he became my grandfather um, figure. And um, the one thing that he did again a- around age seven is he gave me this, him and my aunt Grace. Now that only looks like an old book. It is an old book. It was printed in 1954, but that book changed my life. When he first gave it to me, I was very disappointed that it wasn't a toy. I go, it's a book. I can't read very well. It's a book. Well, when I was completely bored one time, I started to pick it up and it's a book about animals. It's a book about stories of grandpas and grandparents. So anyway, he became my mentor. And one time I made this scrapbook of newspaper clippings of my heroes in sports, baseball, ice hockey, all of that. And I showed it to him because I wanted to impress him. He's my grandfather, right? Grandfather figure. Mm
0: -hmm. And he was
1: very unimpressed. And I turned page after page and I said, Uncle Matt, isn't this cool? And he goes, well, those are stories about other people. Timmy, I'm only interested in what you've done. You need to make a scrapbook of your life. How many pages can you put on your life? And I thought about that and I go, and and then he said something that sticks with me today. He said, you can never benefit from experiences you're not having. So my friend, Bo says, you wanna go jump a freight So I said, I've never done that. I've never been around hobos, but I'd like to do that. So we went to Fort Worth and I learned how to jump freights safely, Um, but most importantly, I got to go to a hobo camp, which there's always a hobo camp, Uh, they call it a hobo jungle, but it's not much of a jungle, because there's a guy there that's at the entrance, and it it can't be seen very easily, you have to search for it, but there's always where there's big train station, train changing stations, there's always a hobo jungle. Um, he's he's at the front door, he's the doorkeeper. And he makes sure that no bums get in. He makes sure no bad people get in. And he's sitting there on his California blanket, or it's also called thousand mile paper. And what it is is corrugated cardboard because corrugated cardboard is what you wanna lay on. Um, and it also something you wanna put in your clothing because it's incredibly well insulated. So um, he's sitting there on his cardboard And he nods to my friend who he knows is a real hobo. Um, And then he looks at me and he goes, hey, Flintstone. And I said, hey. And there's a a whole language that hobos speak. What a Flintstone is, is actually a phobo, F-A-U-X, bo. It's a phony hobo. A Flintstone is a person that acts like a hobo with an American Express card in his pocket and I, that, that was actually me. And, and so I watched and, and I stayed in the camp and then we went to look for a train and we walked the grit, which is the, um, the, 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 the side of the rails, on either side of the rails. You walk the grit until you find a car that you wanna get into. You don't jump into a car um, because the wheels are three feet or one meter high and even in a boxcar, it, it, the boxcar comes up to just underneath my chin. So you you need to really be pretty strong to get into a boxcar, which you don't want to do in Texas, because if the door closes, you're done. It's enough. Tim, can I just hold
0: you there a minute just sure. to clarify a couple of points? Um, sure. These trains you're talking about, of course, are freight trains. We don't have a lot of freight trains in the UK. They're mainly... Uh, commuter trains or trains that take you all over the country they go incredibly fast so yep. um, how do you jump a freight train that's moving at 20 miles an hour or isn't you,
1: it you 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 absolutely don't you never uh, the rule number one on hobos never leave a train that's moving never try to get on one that's moving unless it's an absolute emergency okay um the the other real danger is when they're in the switching yards we have huge switching yards where they make trains like if they they're going to Denver, if they're going to New York, if they're going to Los Angeles. At night, they, they push the cars around with these little engines, and they create these long trains. Well, you never wanna be in a freight yard in the dark because those big cars are as big as homes, big as houses, actually, almost, and they um, they roll silently. You will get clipped by one of those. And that's called greasing the rails.
0: Oh, um, yeah, and and another so, question. I mean, in, in the UK, we call them freight trains or freight yards or goods yards. Uh, uh-huh. And um, you couldn't get into those. They would have uh, you know twelve foot fences, uh, lights around them. Presumably, yep. it's not as secure as that in the US.
1: Oh, uh, they have the same thing in the US, but there's a hole. My my buddy Bo says, uh, Doc, he goes. Uh, Uh, let's find the hole in the fence. I said, how do you know there's a hole in the fence? He said, there's always a hole in the fence and there's always a hole in the fence and you can get in. But you wanna be away from the freight train, uh, the freight cops, they're called bulls and they're typically very mean. Um, But there's, anyway, in, in, in um, in the hobo jungle, I did meet somebody who was a Stanford PhD in anthropology. And um, she knew my friend Doc, she knew of him, so they got along famously well. And oh yeah, um, she funded her education and her tours as a hobo by being a Victoria's Secret model. And she'd been on television, she's a supermodel um, and super unpleasant. Uh, Well, I I hope that doesn't go in the uh, recording, but. Anyway, she she was very nice to some people, but didn't have anything to say to me. Um, And so that was one of the experiences, but I'd like to transition from hobos to to talk about something that I think is very important for our times. And I wanna say that stories about Tim Durkin aren't really interesting. What, What my stories are designed to do is to illustrate some universal values and principles that i believe are important right now now i have had great mentors in my life stephen covey was one mike vance who was walt disney's protege was the other Um, i learned so much from them but the people that i learned perhaps the most from one of them cleaned toilets for a living the other one murdered two people and i met him in jail and then the third one was a homeless person that gave me a gift that i will give to this group and i encourage you to test it one or two times and to see if you have the same reaction that i do because it it literally shocks people so which one do you want to hear about the toilet cleaner the murderer or the homeless man oh,
0: take them in that order, please, Tim.
1: Briefly, um, the, I ran um, the Dallas Market Center, and I had a lot of people that worked for me. I had 850 hourly employees. We were going to do an improved customer service training course, and I wanted to learn about what kind of training had already happened because we were getting complaints that our people weren't nice, and customer service training was all the deal. And I had my Disney mentor. Um, I learned all about the Disney process and uh and so i said who's the best and they said that's brownie i said who's brownie they said brownie cleans the toilets on the first floor of the world trade center which we have a a building called the world trade center in dallas and i go really and they go yeah so he said just watch them so i went down there during market Forty thousand people are at market these are the market centers where people who own stores can buy goods for their stores. It's a a collection of 4,000 wholesalers and distributors and in the various showrooms. So I'm watching this guy named Brownie and he's a short little guy, um, unknown age. He had short cropped hair. And he was greeting everybody um, by name and saying, oh, he's reading their badge. Oh, there's Derek Arden from London, Big Ben. What a thing, unbelievable. And there's so-and-so from New York City, the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple. Chicago, my kind of town, Chicago. And he's greeting everybody. And, and, and then people are shaking his hand and his hand immediately goes into his pocket. So I know he's accepting tips. I got no problem with that. I have no problem with that. Anyways, afterwards, I came up to him and I said, uh, Brownie, my name's uh, uh, Tim Durkin. He goes, I know who you are. You're one of the big people on the fifth floor. I said, I'm no bigger than you, partner. I just wanted to thank you and say, you're doing an outstanding job, but I do have one question, Brownie. How is it that you know um, all of these places? How do you have time to work for us if you're in New York and London and Shreveport and Chicago and all of that? He said, well, Mr. Durkin, he said, I don't think I've ever been outside of the county of Dallas. I said, "Really? Well, you act like." You did. He said, "Well, I read a lot." And he said, "Besides Mr. Durkin, he said everybody likes to know. Every, everybody likes to hear kind words about where they're from." And I said, "Yeah, they do." He said, it "Kind of puts them in the in a good mood, if you mean." I said, "Well, how can you stay in such a good mood?" Uh, oh, and I said, uh, "By the way, um, you." you Mr. Brown, you you can't call me Mr. Durkin, we're on a first name basis. He said, well, you can't call me Mr. Brown, sir, because I wouldn't answer to Mr. Brown. I've been Brownie all my life. It's just Brownie's fine with me. I said, Brownie's fine with you, Tim is fine with me. He hitched his pants, took a different stance, stuck out his hand and said, you got a deal, Mr. Tim. (laughs) And I said, okay, how come it is that you're so happy when your job is cleaning toilets and urinals? He said, "Well, Mr. Tim, I don't look at it like that." He said, "What I do is I create a pleasant environment for an occasionally necessary experience." Wow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, and I said, "Well, what do you do when you're not doing, the, you know, not doing this? You know, you keep your place spotlessly clean. Um, everything is." On. He said, "Well, I look for the answers." I said, "You look for the answers. Do you find them?" He said, "Every time." Every time I got a question, I find an answer. I said, could you tell me where you go to find the answer? And he said, well, Mr. Timmy, he had his cart. He put, took off about 10 white, clean towels. And underneath that was a towel that wasn't one of our white towels. It was obviously his. It was obviously old. He took that. And inside, he unwrapped something. And it was the oldest Bible I ever saw in my life. And uh, he said, they're all in here. Any question you got, they're all in here. I said, wow, that's great to know. He, I said, I, I'm I'm very honored to have somebody like you working for me and working for us. And he said, Mr. Tim, may I just correct you? He said, I know that the chart says that I worked for you, but he said, I really worked for him. Everything I do glorifies him. And I said, well, that's that's a good thing. He said, well, well, Mr. Tim, I've enjoyed talking to you. Oh, by the way, Mr. Tim, um, I'd like a promotion. What's your title? You're one of those C people, aren't you? I said, well, yeah, I'm I'm the COO, Chief Operating Officer. And he goes, okay. He said, Mr. Tim, I need you to make me promoted to the CSO. And I said, CSO? I've heard of CFO, CEO, COO. What's a CSO? He said, I want to be your Chief Smile Officer because if I don't see somebody with a smile, I give them one of mine. And he had a big gold tooth right there. Now, the thing was that I knew I was speaking to wisdom and I was smart enough to go down there when I had a dilemma that I was facing. And I would say, Brownie, would you walk with me? And he said, yes, sir, Mr. Tim, what's on your heart? And I said, Brownie, I got a couple of decisions to make. And if I make one one way, it's going to please some people. If I make another way, it's going to, you know, I just want to be fair and stuff like that. He said, what's your head tell you you should do? I said, well, my head tells me that I should do this. He said, what's your heart tell you you should do? That's what well, my heart tells me to go the other direction. He said, we should make a better pillow. And it was always answered like that. This man was Yoda. And he, he would be discounted uh, in any other environment. I want to say from the beginning that the best lesson I learned in life was that there were people who are very kind, very compassionate, very helpful, and they didn't look anything like me. And there were people who were mean and nasty, and in some cases evil, and they looked just like me. And what I learned very early is that you can't judge a book by its cover, as we like to say. It's a case of getting to know goodness because goodness resides everywhere. And that was that was very, very key, very key. So um, Brownie, he showed me a picture of his wife and, and it fell out of his Bible, it's his bookmark. And I said, oh, that's a beautiful woman, and it was. He said, yep, that's her, that's the one. That's her name is May, like the month, but with an E, not a Y. And I said, well, that's something to go home to. He said, oh, Mr. Tim, she'd been gone 12 years and I miss her still. And it was just it was unbelievable. Every encounter with him, I felt better. And he was one of our lowest paid employees. Um, so you wanna go to the murderer or you wanna go to the homeless person?
0: You wanna to go to the murderer, but I gotta say that was um, a fantastic story. And I see you uh, living, the, living the dream of the story as you went through it, as you were telling it with total authenticity. So thanks for that, Tim.
1: Well, you're welcome. That's uh, that's the condensed version. I got plenty of brownie stories. I'm telling you this man was, was Yoda. Um, I, I once uh, lived in Virginia near Washington, DC. And one of my neighbors, one, a neighbor couple, um, joined some uh, somebody named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was in the Nixon administration. He was one of the architects of the Watergate break-in and a lot of other nefarious things that happened in that administration. He went to prison and had a very deep, profound Christian experience, especially as it relates to um, the uh, uh, treatment of prisoners, especially after they get released. So he started something called the Prison Fellowship. It was in large part based on Christianity. My neighbors invited me over to join, uh, to find out more about it. And when I was in their house, I could not tell the prisoners from the good people, um, except by a couple of tattooed cases. But I then got involved in working with prisoners. um, and, And we could talk about the Bible if they wanted to. I hope they didn't, because I'm not really very... I'm not really well ber- versed in the Bible, um, but uh, nonetheless, they said, just sit with the people, talk with them, find out what they want. Well, the very first time I went into a jail, um, the jailers did not like the fact that the Christian do-gooders were coming in there. And I'll never forget, they walked me down to this guy's office, who had re- this guy's cell, who had requested um, a prison fellowship person And the guy said to me, he said, okay, you're in here. And he slammed the door behind me. And he said, if you get in trouble or need any help, just yell, we'll hear you. And we'll get here as quick as we can. The room was completely dark. All I saw was the bottom of a pair of shoes, Converse All-Stars. And then I heard a voice from in the darkness laying on the cot and said, "Uh, are you the teach? And I squeaked, uh, I yeah, I am. And he said, take a seat. Well, the only place to sit down was the stainless steel commode with a, uh, a, a wash basin behind it. So I went to sit on that. And he started laughing. He said, I'm only kidding you. But that wasn't his exact words. Anyway, his name, he said, was Jim. And we talked for a long time. And we got to know each other. And he said, I said, what would you like from our visit? He said, can you prepare me for the, the high school equivalency test in the states we call it the GED? And I said, sure, what do you want to study? I want to study English, reading, math. He said, I want to know long division. Can you teach me long division? I said, yeah, I can teach you long division. Um, nope, no problem at all. Um, what, why do you want to learn long division? He said, well, I'll tell you. He said, when I grew up, I couldn't wait to get out of the house and get to school. He said, I'd run down our lane. It was two miles to the school. i would run all the way. I'm five. He's five or six years old. He's going to kindergarten in a schoolhouse in rural Virginia. And he's running down there, running down there. And he couldn't wait because he wanted a front row seat in his classroom. He absolutely wanted to be in the front row seat. And every single day he got one. He used to cut across his big farm in Virginia. And the guy on the farmer on the tractor one time stopped him and yelled, hey boy, what are you doing running across my field? He said, I'm sorry, Farmer Smith. He said, I'm trying to get to school. I've got to be the first one so I can get a front row seat. And the farmer looked at him, cock-eyed, and said, that's true, boy? He said, yes, sir, I love school. He said, boy, he said, tomorrow I want you to swing by the house. He said, I want you to go past the front back porch. There'll be something on the back porch there. Whatever's on the back porch is yours, son. You understand? He said, yes, sir. He didn't know what the heck has happened. Next morning, he runs across there, farmer weighs to him, he gets to the back porch and he finds a plate with hot biscuits, honey, and a big glass of cold milk. He scoops that down there. And then sometimes it was a peanut butter sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He'd pick it up and he'd run every single day. Sometime the people, uh, after uh, about a year of this, he didn't come anymore. And the farmers were concerned so they went to the community it's a community living in the woods ex-former slaves or descendants of former slaves and they were looking they said we're looking for james if you want to find james it says james lives down there they knocked on the door now this is two people uh of means who drove in a car they're knocking on the door and they said um The woman answered and she said, what you want? She said, we'd like to know, is this where James lives? She said, what you want with my boy? She said, well, she said, we really like James and we're really happy. And we put out a little bit of biscuit for him every morning. We haven't seen him. And she said, well, what's going on? James, James stopped showing up. Well, the net of the story was that in the third grade he got a new teacher. He's in the front row. The teacher announces boys and girls, we're going to study long division. But James, James, you're too stupid to learn long division. I need you to pick up your stuff and move to the back of the room so you won't be a distraction. And from that moment on, every other kid called him stupid James, stupid James, stupid James. Notice I said when I met him, his name was Jim. And I sat there and I, I, I said, well, that's that's unbelievable. So he's a big baseball fan, coached three little league teams um, and uh, worked in the lumberyard. And I said, well, you know, uh, long division, that's baseball average. You, you coach three teams. When your players ask you what their batting average is, what do you tell them? I said, well, that's 400, 350, so-and-so. said well how did you figure that out he said i didn't figure it out i made that shite up i said oh well it's long division so we got the newspaper out i showed him the baseball averages from the sunday paper and he said we started doing long division and i'll never forget the one time that he got the right answer we did the multiplication the short division the long division he got the right answer and every time he did it he Poke the with the decimal point, he'd go bam, that's the signal that he's done. And then I'd look in the newspaper and I'd name the player, name the number of times they batted, name the, um, uh, the number of times they got a hit and it would give the average. And I showed him the average and the very first time that the average in the newspaper was the average that he figured out, he got really quiet and he said, let's do another. So I read the second player and I read the number of times at bat and all of that. And he, uh, he's figuring it out and a huge drop of water hits the paper. And then another one hits the paper. And now I am in an emotional wreck with a two-time murderer, <laughs> and I never felt safer in my life. And I probably never was safer in my whole life. He said, it's his allergies. The next week I came, there are 535 baseball players in the major leagues. He had folded the paper and figured out the long division average of every single paper and had a stack of, sorry, he had a stack of pages like this. Um, I don't know if uh, Carl remembers the, the Big Chief Tablet Okay, this is what they give you in kindergarten or something. He had a stack of them. I corrected them. That's the whole. That was the whole time. I corrected them, and and then he said, uh, "I said we got some right, but you got almost all of them right, but you got some wrong." He said, "What's my grade? What's my letter?" And um, so we went back again. It was ninety-one. I said, "You got an A." He goes, "I got an A," and he jumped up. And I jumped up and I went for the high five. He went for the hug and he hugged me and he's carrying me around. Now this man is very much like a gorilla. He was extremely strong. Um, He would curl 225 pounds. I don't know what that is in stone or kilo, but he would be doing that like it was nothing. And he put me in the hug and he's carrying me around dancing, I got an A in long division, I got an A in long division. And then he um, did an expletive to to that teacher. Um, He did serve time. It was, uh, he he killed his girlfriend and the boy, a man that she was seeing. And he did serve 20 some years. He came out, he was hired back immediately. He was beloved in his community, absolutely beloved before Um, they, Lumberyard hired him back. You could go there. You could ask for Jim and say, Jim, I've got a project. I want to build a deck on my house. I want it to be 12 by 14, or three meters by four meters or whatever. And he'd ask questions, well, do you want to use two by fours, two by sixes, whatever. And um, in his head, he'd say, you need 125 of these. You need 12 of these. You need these. He'd do it all in his head because for 26 years, he did, long division. This is the finest, one of the finest human beings I ever met, had a very, very bad moment. I won't explain how he explained that away, but he was good. He was, uh, I would trust him with my children, my grandchildren. Um, if he'd have gotten out, I would have hired him uh, as a guard, uh, as a guardian for our kids. Some people say that's naive, but I, I know goodness and goodness was in that jail cell. And goodness was in other jail cells. But believe me, there is evil in in prisons too. Evil.
0: Tim, that's a great story. That's a great story. Um, And I think we've all come across people being told they were stupid at a very young age. And that is a total disgrace on all sorts of things by parents and all sorts of people. But let's discuss that later. Uh, Let's go on to story three, uh, mm because time's ticking by. Okay. And you said that was a homeless man dressed in rags and stinking yep. to my heaven. Is that true?
1: Oh, uh, well, um, I took my wife and I, you know, we'd like to do some things in the community and so on. And we had this opportunity through some friends of ours to do a um, to do a breakfast, a pancake breakfast for the homeless people in Fort Worth, not far from where I jumped trains, by the way. Um, so I knew there were plenty of homeless people there, and whenever there's free food or something's good is happening, the, the the homeless people seem to have this silent communication and they come like pigeons. Anyway, we are doing this. My my, uh, We wanted our grandson, who's 12 at the time, uh, we wanted him to see. Not We didn't want to talk about doing good things. We wanted to do good things with them. And he's a little bit on the spectrum, um, uh, meaning he's got a short, short attention span. And so, but he's a fabulous kid. So I said, Blake, you're in charge of, um, I'm doing the pancake, cooking the pancakes. You are syrup and butter guy, okay? You ask them for syrup or butter, whatever they want, or both. He said, okay, so we're having a great time. People are coming up to us, and they're very nice. And I had this greeting. I said, good morning. Thank you for joining us. How's your day today, Or And and so, you know, the people are coming here. We gave them as many pancakes as they wanted. Uh, They also got a free loaf of bread and all that. We were almost done. And this guy comes up and I swear at at four meters, I could smell him. I mean, he was really, really bad. He had a top coat or an overcoat on. One of the um, uh, pockets was completely ripped out. It was literally in tags tatters and his shoes were coming apart on his feet and he kind of walked shuffled up to us and uh he came up and i said what i said to everybody else i said good morning sir thank you for joining us how are you doing today and he leaned forward like this and he goes best day of my life and i looked into a face that was an autobiography of years a hard, hard years, and I said, "Really? What made us? What's making this the great day of your life? That's great." And he goes, "Well, I love pancakes. They're free. You're here. You and the boy, and you're nice." I said, "Okay," and he said, "And sir, it's a choice." I go it's a choice. He said, your day is your choice. And I go, wow, I'm stealing that. And he jumped back and he said, you can't steal my, and he yelled, you can't steal that from me. And I jumped, I instinctively covered Blake, all of the other volunteers jumped, like we got a violent one. And all the other homeless people I noticed didn't even Flinch, they go that's just him being here. and he said you can't steal that and I said oh, oh I'm sorry I won't he goes I'm gonna give it to you it's my gift to you I'm trading you for those pancakes I said how many extra pancakes do you want how many you got I said until the batter runs through they're all yours so we cooked them up pancake we actually gave them a jug of maple syrup He put it in his good pocket, had a bag full of pancakes, and off he went. I said, you never get up on the wrong side of the bed, do you, sir? And he goes, there is no wrong side of the bed. Why would you blame an inanimate object for your bad day? So as you know, I like to have um, uh, fun with people um When I meet strangers, people helping us and all that. And it, when I first got on here, I said, one of my favorite responses when somebody said, you know, have a nice day, I said, what's the best thing that happened to you so far today? Well, about two years ago, I started about the time this show started, I started saying this because it had just happened to me. When people ask me, you know, perfunctory, hey, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Best day of my life. Every single time it causes a smile. Sometimes people have doubled up in laughter. Other people say, why? I say, well, here I am. Every day above the ground is a winner. And I meet you. And we're both going to have a good day. And (laughs) it's just automatic. And they say, and then I say, and it's a choice, isn't it? And they go, yeah, yeah, it is. Hey, thanks for that. And I've had people thank me effusively. I've had people break out smiles. Everybody smiles. and and I actually did it in Ireland and it worked there. But I think they thought I was a crazy yank. I, I really do. Um, yeah, okay, crazy vacation in Ireland, you know, all of that. I think, I, I don't think they took me as seriously. But what I would suggest is that when you have the opportunity and somebody says, Hey, how are you doing today? You say the best, I'm having the best day of my life, or it's the best day of my life, but say it just casually. Don't say, Oh my God, it's the best day of my life. So it's the best day of my life. Oh, why? It's a choice. And that's what I've chosen. Because every single human interaction gives us the opportunity to make the world a little better or a little worse. But the choice is ours. It's completely ours. And you can do something like that. It's like I nod to a stranger and the stranger nods back. And two human beings go off a little less anonymous. And I'm not virtue signaling here. I have used this, uh, this best day of my life thing. Now my wife is a little tired of it, I gotta tell you. So I've toned it back when she's around, but I have so many stories of things that have happened post that interaction that it, it, it's not funny. I I want to draw your attention, since you're in the UK, to an article that came out from the BBC on August the 3rd of this year. And it's called Citizen Future. And there's it's written by two people who are writing a book on the word citizen for the future. Because right now, we are moving towards authoritarianism or Um, consumerism. We are either subjects or consumers, or in some cases, we're products. Okay, Facebook, we're a product. There's so much authoritarianism. And this isn't a political statement. It's just that we are being told by people who may or may not have the right information on what to do, and we're obeying it. We can't work together. And here's why our governments have failed us, our political leaders have failed us. You could almost say it's not their fault, but here's why. Their position, their power and their money comes from holding positions that are against each other. Like here we have the left and the liberals and then we have the right and the conservatives. And you'd expect that somehow they come together, but they never do. Why? Because they're being paid not to. All right, their their power is that they can't concede. And as soon as one of them did like Dick Cheney's daughter, she was vilified and ostracized because she went over. Same thing with uh, one of the two of the senators um, here. So what, we're, what we need to move to is individually, our only hope is individual. Business won't help, government won't help, leaders won't help. We got to do it on our own. And we have to remember that the word citizen, the entomology of the word, means together people so i suggest that we have to have interactions that make the world just a little bit better and it's super simple to do it's super simple to do and and, and i think i would end on that it is you know it i can be softer than a flower what borrowing from the buddha or no this is yogananda um, he said, "You can be softer than a flower when it comes to kindness, but louder than the thunder when it comes to values." And uh, I think that's just the way we do. We need to have the value of citizenry, and I think that article, um, that very recent article in the BBC, is wonderful. So um, it's it's up to us. It, it it literally is up to us individually. Am I going to make the world a better place?
0: Tim, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I've got four pages of notes. As everybody knows, I am a serial note taker because the notes go into your brain and you don't forget them when you do. I'm going to just list a few things there. Say Nancy. That Nancy. That I picked up. Um, super white shirts. It's interesting how super white shirts give authority to situations. I noticed that Americans generally always wore a super yeah. white shirt, and they were believed because of it. That was your grandfather exper- figure. Um, you yeah. can never benefit from experiences you haven't heard. I've heard you say that before, but I've forgotten it. As we do, we generally do forget things we heard the uh, first time. Um, Chief Smile Officer. Wow, that's uh, that's great. I love that. Brownie, what a top man he was, clearly. Oh, what a, what a, what a yeah. figure. And, of course, that's wisdom. You know, wisdom's yeah. something you you learn, yeah. when it comes and you know
1: of- what? I doubt that he had three years of uh, formal education. It was uh, he grew up in a very tough time in a very tough city for an African American. Yeah. um, But one of the most beautiful people ever, and beloved by the entire organization, because he exuded. We are contagious. People are contagious. You, you we have to think about that. Um, we're we're way more contagious than COVID you ever been in a room full of people and there's one grumpy um you you know it's just remember you're 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 a virus you carry a virus could be a good virus or could be a bad virus
0: two things i want to mention there you know language is just so important and people don't really get that you've talked about um uh, best day of my life but you know that teacher telling Jim James whatever his name was you're too stupid to learn think of a language stupid compared with fantastic you're uh, you don't understand this yet but i'm going to i'm going to help you i know that you and i are passionate that's how we first formed our friendship 16 years ago by talking about these things two lonely men in a bar weren't we actually <laughs> well, well, um,
1: we were in a beach bar too we in were in beach
0: the bar beach. <laughs> introvert um i've heard you say best day of my life before i'd forgotten it it is a choice and i'm going to try that out on a few people and i'll be curious if other people on this um call would, would try it if they've got the nerve it took me a while to say i'm fantastic every day when uh, when i learned that uh it works and it causes people to smile it changes their state so i'd like to hear from anybody who does that i'll try it tomorrow you have to uh Pluck up the courage the first time, generally, but watch their reaction to it. Watch the emotional intelligence in their face, and you can pick up. I'd be
1: very interested to know if it transports to the United Kingdom. You know, the, the English stiff upper lip sort of thing. I'd, uh, I I'd really would like think to know. It um, it, yeah, it would be I, interesting. I, I, and you just lay it out there how best day of my life. Mm. Really, why?
0: um, um yeah, there's a lot of things that are contagious, and you can change people's mood, their state, can't you, by doing it? Smiling, good morning. People tend to answer back. Um, and finally, Tim, you are a crazy yank, but that's why we'll invite you back all the time. So uh, thank you for that. Will you stay on for a bit and share a sure, few? of course. It's more wisdom. Can I ask everybody from Monday Night Live to give Tim the usual vote of a thanks in the Monday Night uh, Live? Thank you. Well, that was brilliant, Tim. Please come and back and join us. Are all these tips in this book, Points of Impact, which you wrote in COVID a couple of years ago, to make a difference to people? Or as Nigel Kirby says, are they going to be in your next book? Yeah. Oh, Look, Michael O'Hara is holding up one of your books. Hold it up again, Michael. I'm not the only one that's. uh,
1: There you go. uh, Thank you. Got it on there. Uh, Tim Dirk. Yeah, I I am going to do another book, but I'm thinking about. Most of my kids don't even know these stories. Um, I do know Blake. Blake will never be the same after that. But not only well Blake was an added he's a bonus kid because uh, of how he came into our family. Um, but, boy, he is so he and I are so close. It's unbelievable. and i I actually put it to that situation.
0: Tim Durkin, thanks for joining us. I hope you'll join us again. I know you'll join us every week as uh, as a guest, but uh, as a guest speaker, that was absolutely brilliant. Thanks for joining us. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like it. Uh, follow TimDurkin.com uh, with his stories, a great storyteller and brilliantly told. Thanks, Tim.